Welcome to Force Points to the Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Eric Trexler and Erica Pierce to explore the latest in government cybersecurity news and trending topics. Always covered in 15 minutes or less. Now, let's get to the point. Hi, and welcome back to To The Point Cybersecurity. I am one of your hosts, Erica Pierce, and joined, of course, by Eric Trexler. How are you doing, Eric? Eric, I'm doing great. Great to have you back. I spent the weekend listening some pod, to some podcasts of ours, and my son kept telling me that we keep – he reminded me that we keep telling our guests or our listeners that we do 15 minutes or less. <laughs> yeah, that's a little bit of us. It's like an inside joke in the Trexler household <laughs> at this point. Anyway, good morning to you. Yeah. Good morning. Well, yeah, and I, I think – you know, we started off saying, oh, 15 minutes is, is just about the 15, 20 minutes is about the right amount of time. But I think what we've learned is that there is a lot to talk about um, in this in the space of cybersecurity. And it, it's hard to do it within that time. But I'm going to challenge us to do it today, though. Let's do okay. it. All right. Well, and we have um, a great guest. We have David Ext um, from Red Hat. He's the chief technologist of their public sector organization. Hi, David. How you doing? Hey, glad to be here. Excellent, excellent. Well, we're we're excited to have you here. Um, so, David, let, let's start here. I, I was given a quote um, that I, I think just it, it's very simple to the point, but that um, that I believe you said, and I would love just to get have you expand on it. You said innovation does no good if you can't secure it. Um, that I mean, that makes a lot of sense. But t- tell us more about what you mean by that. Yeah, and and so like at Red Hat, you know, everything we do is you know is inside the open source world, but like in the inside the open source world, there's so much innovation happening where you have these communities that are out there doing all kinds of innovation, but they end up scratching their own itch in terms of what, what they're passionate about from a technology or feature function standpoint. And the, the challenge becomes like, okay, how do you take these open source projects and turn them into commercially supported products that can be you know, consumed in the enterprise, consumed by the government, meets standards and things like that. And that's that's what we do. Um, you know, we, we work in, with those communities, but we also talk a lot with our customers to make sure that whatever uh, the technologies are that we're involved with, that they're actually consumable by our government customers. So, David, the innovation does you no good if you can't secure it. Uh, you could sum up the security industry, the cybersecurity industry in that manner. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, I think I've also heard you talking about innovation outpacing the ability to secure it. I've certainly seen that. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. If, if you start thinking about, um, you know, uh, DevOps and DevSecOps and SecDevSecOpsSec and, and all that stuff that's out there, right, of like, you know, the, the innovation is happening, uh, you know, the technology is moving faster than the processes um, that are out there, you know, as people move uh, from waterfall to agile and and move into DevOps, you know, you need to change the processes to keep up with that tempo. Because if you're applying the technologies, uh, you know, these newfangled technologies to your old processes, um, you're you're going to get behind. And the other reality is that the you know the our adversaries aren't. Um, you know, you think about the the old processes in the government of doing, you know, uh, once a year checkups to make sure you're secure. Well, our adversaries uh, attack us more than once a year. And so being able to continuously monitor our systems and to make sure that they haven't drifted from our configuration baselines is so critical. What's your recommendation then? Automation. 
So, you know, first okay. and foremost, it's you got to get the human out of the loop, um, especially as you think about cloud computing, where you're moving more and more towards ephemeral workloads that spin up and down. Putting a human in the loop will cause you to, um, you know, humans are fallible. Um, they also take time. They also get sick. Um, they want to go on vacation. And so the more you could automate, you could you could free up a lot of that uh, drudgery into something that's mathematically verifiable that that, you know, you have to you haven't drifted from your position. And then that frees up your staff to work on more mission related things. And David, do you believe because we've heard, I, I would say, um, two points of, of thought on this. So do you believe that we will get to a place where you can completely pull the human out of the loop? Or do you think there will always have to be some level of, um, you know, human interaction or, mm-hmm. or, or capability? Or do you think, you, do you envision we'll be full, we could have a, that could be, everything could be fully automated? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, we'll have the robots fixing the robots. But, <laughs> yeah. um, but the, I think what's going to happen is the human is going to be more focused on the process end of it of, uh, and focused mm-hmm. on the automation. And the, you know, in in the government speak, we talk about the authority to operate, you know, to get a workload into production. So I look at it as the the ATO today um, is blessing the artifact of what's being deployed. And what really needs to happen is the authority to operate and that that government scrutiny and the auditing needs to be applied to the processes. So you approve the processes as opposed to the artifacts that get generated because, you know, because if it's automated and it's repeatable, um, the art of hack should be identical every single time. Amen. How do we do it? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's, that's really yeah, the question, yeah. right? How do we do it? I mean, if think about being a mid-level IT manager in, a, in, the, in the DOD or a government civilian agency, what would you do? Like, how do yeah. you? Well, that's, that's what's funny is uh, years ago, so I, it'll be 13 years in February that I've been at Red Hat. And even early on, I, I would have government customers come up to me and saying, hey, do you have lockdown scripts for Red Hat Enterprise Linux? And and I'm like, yeah, well, we don't really, um, you know, for like the disastig or something. And um, but and they'll be like, yeah, we have some scripts, but, you know, they're not that good. And I'm like, well, give them to me. Let, I'll, we'll open source them. Let's put it out there to the community and show how uh, we could write, you know, we could, we'll use that as a as a, uh, a point of departure, right, to get people to, to make it stronger and stronger. And but what would happen is the, the govies would be like, oh, I don't know if I'm allowed to do open source and or uh, uh, a government system integrator would be like, no, that's my company's intellectual property. I'll get fired. And and so what happened was, you know, we created a you know, we work with folks in the government, um, you know, the NSA um, DISA and, and NIST and a whole bunch of other groups to come up with uh, an open source baseline. And then that started off as compliance as code. Well, the SCAP security guide, which eventually got turned into compliance as code uh, because it's bigger than SCAP. But, you know, we went from, you know, the, the old way of, of like your DISA STIG or your security baseline being in a three ring binder to embracing, to make it uh, machine readable as well as human readable uh, using SCAP technology, the Security Content Automation Protocol, and that's a, a NIST uh, standard that you know if you publish that, all the NIST certified scanners could use speak that language, and that really uh, made made things take off. And it and it was to the point where if you go back in time and look at like Red Hat Enterprise Linux seven, the largest contributor to the SCAP Security Guide now compliance as code, the largest contributor was not Red Hat, it was not the government, it was Northrop Grumman. And and so to me it's like phenomenal as far as like let's let's 
let the best ideas win and let's put stuff out there and beat it up. And, you know, it's like, oh, my password complexity is better than yours and it's top secret and everything. It's like that's that doesn't play anymore. We got to get the best ideas out there because, you know, our, our adversaries are, are attacking us and we need to think as one. So have we made progress with SCAP? I know I think version one came out. I say it was 2010 ish plus or minus mm-hmm. a year or two. I, mm-hmm. I did a lot of work up at the fort around SCAP and vulnerability assessment. I used to sell a scanner. I know it it was a good bit of the way towards automation, but it certainly wasn't the holy grail. I mean, do you think we've made a lot of progress there? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like at first, you know, when we were we got started with SCAP, it was more on doing the checks as opposed to uh, the remediation. So, you know, like we would we would do SCAP to get all the checks and then we would get a report back saying, okay, human, go ahead and fix all these things, edit these files and everything, rerun the script, uh, rerun the SCAP scan, and then until you get all green lights and a clean bill of health to go into production. And over time, um, you know, being able to have not just the, the checking content, but the remediation content was really important. And at first we started doing it with um, bash scripts because you know every Linux system has bash on it um, and we've actually extended that to uh, also include ansible um, which the cool thing about ansible is that um, you know you could you could manage anything as long as you could SSH into it or winrm into it so you could lock down uh, you know network switches and you know your your filers your storage devices you know your Windows systems you know anything that's out there so you know if you could log into it you could really you could manage it and lock it down if, if Eric and I took over a, a government agency X tomorrow, the security component there, and, and let's say we've got a FISMA grade of, I don't know, a D, whatever mm-hmm. it be, right? <laughs> yep. What's your guidance? How do, we, how do we drive automation? Where do we start? What do we do? Mm-hmm. Well, first I would look at, you know, uh, you know a lot of times, uh, you know, people would be like, oh, man, I don't have enough security tools that are out there. And and what, you know, the first thing I would do is like. Go buy some more, inventory. right, Erica? Yeah, right. Let's add, yeah, no, that's what I. <laughs> yeah, let's add some more belts and suspenders. And I, I'm all for defense in depth, right? Um, but the first thing I would do is let's take a look at what we have and are we using everything that we have um, where, you know, it's like the like the security tooling that is built into the operating systems like Windows, um, you know, they have SCAP scanners. Um, and management tools for that. You could do that with Red Hat. And it's it's a very well-kept secret, um, sadly, that, you know, a lot of our government customers don't even know that, you know, talking about like Linux, right, where, um, you know, if you go into our installer with Red Hat Enterprise Linux, there's actually a button in the installer that says compliance baseline. You click that and then you could pick this is STIG, U.S. government configuration baseline, PCI, HIPAA, um, CGIS baseline. And the and so before it even boots up for the very first time, it's already locked down according to uh, the security policy that you want. So, David, when you when we look towards the future, I mean, just kind of piggybacking mm-hmm. on the question Eric just asked, I mean, you know, do you see a government agencies um, really taking advantage of these tools moving forward? I mean, what if you had to we always ask people when you look into the crystal ball, like what, mm-hmm. what do you see in terms of progress, but as well as the just the, the future? Yeah, I, I think there, you know, it's what's funny is it, uh, you know, people think about automation, right? And it's like, oh my gosh, that's going to automate me out of a job. And, you know, I'm, you know right. robots are going to take over and everything. But <laughs> still, when I talk to Govies, you know, I, I would say, you know, okay, you're concerned about automation, but realistically speaking, 
do you have too much to do? And I would do a poll of an audience when I'm giving talks. It's like, okay, how, you know, how many people have too much to do? And, and, you know, everybody's raising their hand and, and there's so much going on. And then they're distracted from focusing on the mission because they're just running around on with their hair on fire to, um, you know, apply patches and, and everything. And they're not automating as much as they could. And so, you know, the thing I would be doing is, is asking, it's like, okay, are we automating as much as we could, as much as we can? And, you know, it's almost like that Toyota 5Y sort of thing where you keep asking why and you keep asking why and you keep asking why. I would be asking, did you automate enough? Did you automate enough? Did you automate enough? And you keep going to the point where, you know, like we, I was on a panel with uh, DHS uh, a couple of weeks ago at the Red Hat Government Symposium. And this person said that, it's like, wow, thanks to automation, I could actually take sick leave and, you know, the building didn't burn down, <laughs> you know, and, and right. he was actually really happy that, you know, things were automated and, you know, he could go off and be sick and and not have to worry about, you know, checking his pager or logging in to make sure, you know, that they didn't get hacked or anything like that. So I think that's really a goal that we should all aim towards. So just want to switch gears for a, a second as we kind of start to wrap up. So, David, can you tell us a little bit more about, um, you, you know, you talked about robots um, quite a few times, but uh, t- tell us a little bit more about Daddy's Computer Camp and the fact that <laughs> your daughter gave you a robot when she, I think, when she was 13 or so for, <laughs> for yeah. Valentine's Day, which is and you, with bash code on the front. Mm-hmm. So, t- you know, we've, we spent a lot of time on this podcast also talking about just the um, – uh, how to get the younger generations more involved and excited about um, the cybersecurity, you know, workforce. We know that that's been a challenge. Mm-hmm. It's been a focus, especially of government. But obviously, you've been so you were successful in getting your daughter interested. In, oh in yeah, it, in it. yeah. How so, did you do that? Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, it's, I have I have a picture of her in her bouncy chair from when she was like one year old with an unplugged keyboard, and so she would sit next to me and bang on the keyboard while I'm working or doing stuff and you know just from that very first time it's like including her in these things and you know ever since uh you know i you know you know i found out we're having a daughter it really opened my my eyes up in terms of of uh having that awareness of you know women in the computer world is especially in the cybersecurity world where i think it's even more rare open source as well and and trying to create environments that are inclusive um, and welcoming. And so, you know, you go back to like, like uh, I would be involved with the Akron Linux user group. Um, I live here in Ohio and we would go in and, um, you know, she would have pigtails and, you know, we would go in and, and she, for her, it was, it was a dinner meeting and somebody would give a presentation, but for her, it was, she loved it because uh, they, they had a turkey dinner with mashed potatoes and she was all about the mashed potatoes. <laughs> and then she started to observe, absorb all the, the technical stuff. And, um, and, you know, and you have these folks in, in the Linux user group that are these grandfatherly uh, type people that are really cheering her on. And um, and over time, it's like, you know, the, the Valentine uh, episode that we had was, um, you know, I over over Christmas break, we would be shut down at Red Hat. You know, so between uh, Christmas and New Year's, so we would have what's called uh, my daughter and I we would call it Daddy's Computer Camp. Where it's like, oh, we're going to take a computer apart. We're going to install Linux. We're going to put a new hard drive in, and you know, she would get her static strap on, and you know, she totally, <laughs> wow. you know, get all like wound up, right? And we would do it, and um, she, you know, there was, and I'm like, all right, I'm ready to teach you how to program. And so, and I'm like, what program are we going to do? And it's like, okay, let's, or what language? And I'm like, okay, we'll do Bash. 
and I, I, you know, we did some bash scripting and stuff like that. And, you know, I taught her how to properly comment her code and everything. And, and then, um, you know, that was over the Christmas break. And then come Valentine's Day, I get this Valentine uh, from her that was this, uh, you know, cardboard robot and everything. And it on the front of it, it was a, a bash script that, that basically said, Daddy, will you be my Valentine? Um, but it was all <laughs> written in bash with variables wow. and comments and everything. And she did that all from memory. And and I'm like, wow, that's that's really great. And so for me, I'm all about like getting women into STEM and creating inclusive environments to, you know, have them, uh, you know, get, get involved. And, you know, and that goes up to, you know, even today where she's in college at Rochester Institute of Technology and, you know, making sure, you know, she's not, um, you know, with all the alpha males that are out there and, you know, it's making sure she's participating and making sure she's asking questions. And if she doesn't understand something, you know, she'll hound the professor until, uh, you know, she gets an answer. So I'm, I'm very proud of her, as you could tell. You should be. I mean, she's a four-time Ohio affiliate of the National Center for Women and Information Technology Award winner. She won the Intel's Excellence in Computer Science Award for her work at NASA. Uh, you should be massively proud. Oh, I am. I am. Unfortunately, uh, and, it's too late yeah. for me. My kids are all older, right? And I didn't start with that keyboard in their hands banging at one. Yeah, yeah. Well, soon enough. Um, yeah, next generation, you'll you'll be able to do it. Grandkids. I'm working on the grand. We'll work on the grandkids, Eric. I've got the secret now. Grand, yeah, I think you got to start camp. these days while they're in the womb. Yeah. Unfortunately, I don't program either. So, so Dave, as we're wrapping up here, I've got a question for you. You, you uh-huh. you've got a long, illustrious career in, in, in the IT world, dealing with security IT. What's the biggest surprise you've seen? You know, biggest thing you missed or surprise, something you didn't expect over your career. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me. The, the biggest revelation was finding out that we were having a daughter. And and that's where I went from, you know, the 20-year-old okay. guy being surrounded, you know, in meetings. And I was totally blind to, you know, you know, and, and it's not like I had biases. You know, the, it was these unconscious biases that I would have of, of getting, um, you know, making sure that, um, you know, that, that uh, people with, uh, you know, diverse backgrounds are included. And so now I go out of my way to sort of change that and, and be much more self-aware. Um, and, and the other thing I've, I've found out too is like, you know, still the percentage of women in uh, computer science programs is very low and it's not good enough yet. And, and so like when we did uh, the college tours, we went to, um, RIT, and and that's where my daughter went. Um, but what you know, we did, you know, they actually did a presentation. What really sold me on RIT was that um, they were giving a presentation. They said that, um, well, you know, eighty five percent or eighty five percent of the CS students are boys, fifteen percent are girls. That's the national average. And and the person that was giving the presentation said that's not good enough, and we're out to change that. And and so you know, to me, it's like, wow, they have that welcoming environment um, to, you know, get women and, you know, diverse folks from, you know, all across the spectrum involved in computer science. Because I think when, you know, you have that diversity of thought, um, it's going to lead to better outcomes. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's amazing to hear that they get it. And I love the fact that your daughter picked up on that. 
Mm-hmm. Now that's fantastic. Yeah, we're leaving. Great job. Great job to you. Hats um, off to you because I, I think that's also an important piece of this. So. <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 it was great. I mean, and she's had great mentors along the way with uh, like Herb Schilling at NASA Glenn and um, the, the folks at Thinkbox, uh, Ian Charnas um, at Case Western and, you know, so many good mentors along the way that um, it wasn't all me. It's, it's like they're like giving her these at-bats. Um, where I have pictures of her with uh, doing selfies with Steve Wozniak, and and so oh, wow. yeah, and that's a whole other story that I'm we, that we could say that for another episode. So okay, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, David, so much for being on. Um, this has been a, a, a great episode. Thank you um, to all of our listeners that tune in every week. the The podcast. I'm going to toot our own horn for a second, Eric. Um, we were recently named. Um, one of the top 30 federal IT influencers. And I think that means that people are listening and they're enjoying um, the podcast every week. So we thank all of the listeners and appreciate that um, that you all are uh, finding what we have to say with our, our little start, our little podcast that could. <laughs> that, well, when I was doing the prep for this, uh, for the interview with you all, um, I noticed that I checked that list of the 30 and you were the only uh, podcast listed. So, or, you know, the other way you yeah. can say is you're the number one podcast, um, in the, oh. <laughs> in the 30 as well. So, Oh, I like that much better. I like it. Okay. Yeah. I like that too. And, yeah. and while Thanks, we're on Dave. the topic of a podcast, Dave, I know you do the Dave and Gunner show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think it's quite weekly, but it, it's a fascinating podcast to listen to. <laughs> yeah. Your son loves it, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> the only podcast he says that's more boring than that. This is Michael, my 12 year old is our, pa- our podcast, Erica. Uh, <laughs> talk about yeah. the day guy. Maybe I should have, uh, given that keyboard at one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, no, I, I, I've been doing that. That's a whole nother episode story too. If I do this uh, podcast with Gunnar Hellickson, who's a good friend of mine, um, that actually hired me into Red Hat, uh, years ago. And so, you know, we just, it's just, if you like nerdy sarcasm with a big technical bent to it of, of weird things we see on the internet, it's all for you. It's not a a Red Hat sanctioned, um, podcast at all. It's totally independent. Um, if you like strange internet things, uh, uh, with a a high dose of sarcasm, uh, we got the podcast for you. Yeah. He loved the fact that you mentioned Google and then you lost a few points when you were talking about Chromebooks at one point. Um, but that's what kept you ahead of us. Oh, <laughs> tough, tough grader. Trust me. Tough yeah, he yeah. is. He's a tough. We're going to have him on the podcast since uh, yeah. <laughs> he has some notes for us. It sounds like. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, thanks so much. And again, thank you to all of the listeners. We truly appreciate you um, tuning in each week. Please continue to subscribe and uh, share with your friends and colleagues. And also uh, send us a note. And let us know what you want us to talk about. So until next week, this has been To The Point Cybersecurity. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thanks for joining us on the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit www.forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or the Google Play Store 